Bonjour, salut et bienvenue. Hello and welcome to City Breaks Bordeaux, episode 4, Bordeaux's Riverside Heritage. If you've been following along the Bordeaux series, you'll know that we've already had a good look around the city centre, had a look at Roman and medieval Bordeaux, and today I'm going to look at a topic without which Bordeaux really wouldn't exist at all, namely its river, the River Garonne. The reason the first settlements came here at all, the root of the city's prosperity, and also, of course, especially today, one of the main features of its tourism industry. I'll be looking at the river in the centre of the city, where its gentle curved shape has given Bordeaux its alternative name, the Port de la Lune, Moonport. But looking further afield too, because there are 75 kilometres of La Garonne between Bordeaux and the Gironde estuary, There'll be a little history, of course, in this case the story of the port and the trade. We'll be visiting four different museums which all have something to say about various aspects of this story, including its darker side, Bordeaux's role as a centre of the slave trade. And I'm going to finish the episode with ideas for enjoying the river, both in Bordeaux itself and along the estuary. Think riverside walks, boat trips, cruises... Some more energetic ideas, such as canoeing and kayaking, and visits out of the city to various places along the estuary. There is a feature very much connected with the river in Bordeaux, which I don't believe I've mentioned at all yet, and that's the bridges, which, on a boat trip or a quayside stroll, you are bound to notice. I wanted to mention two in particular. The first is the very oldest bridge, the Pont de Pierre, which is the one you'll come across if you walk along the Cours Victor Hugo as far as the river. Amazingly, it was only built in 1822, so before that you had to take a ferry to cross the river. And the reason it was built, something connected to so much of France's history, is Napoleon. Because when he was passing through the area in 1802 on his way to Spain, he could not believe there was no bridge here and immediately ordered that one should be built. And so it was done. Built of stone, as the name suggests, the Pont de Pierre, Pierre means stone, although it has had other names in the past, the Pont d'Aquitaine, the Pont de Bordeaux. Anyway, built on Napoleon's orders, beautiful design of 17 lovely arches spanning the river. And if you think, as I did, that 17 is a rather odd number, I did read somewhere that the reason may have been that there are 17 letters in the words Napoleon Bonaparte. I find it hard to believe that the engineers would really have taken that into consideration, but what do I know? I do know that as soon as it was finished, the people of Bordeaux were very proud of it and made boasts like it's longer than Waterloo Bridge over the Thames in London. And it is the century's crowning glory. It is not today exactly as it was when it was finished in 1822, because it was widened in the 1950s, and in 1980 or so, they decided to decorate it, make it more neoclassical, add that lovely balustrade and those cast iron lampposts, which makes such a nice backdrop for a photograph. Incredibly, the Pont de Pierre was the only bridge across the Garonne in Bordeaux until the 1960s, when suddenly they went mad and built several more. And you will see them all if you stroll along the river. The other one I wanted to mention particularly is the newest, the Pont Chabon d'Elma, named after Jacques Chabon-Delma, who was mayor of Bordeaux for, wait for it, 48 years. It's a clean, elegant-looking bridge up near the Cité du Vin, which guides will always point out to you if they're taking you on a tour. 
And there are a couple of things which make it special. One is the fact that the central parts lift up so that big ships could still get through to dock in the city. And the second is the clever lighting effects that they've devised. So if you see it at night, the deck will be white and the two towers will change from blue to green. Blue when there's high tide and green at low tide. A pretty sight and a reminder that the river here in Bordeaux, even though it's 75 kilometres inland, is still tidal. I found online a rather lovely tour of the bridges walk, one that you can do yourself just following the instructions, about seven kilometres in total, starting at the Miroir d'Eau, so right in the centre, and taking in the left bank as well as the right bank, and giving lots of tips about things to spot en route, ideas for where you could picnic, or stop and buy oysters at a market. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes and on the blog post on the website. Aside from the bridges then, perhaps what makes the riverside in Bordeaux especially beautiful are the quays, which I have seen described as Bordeaux's proud outer face, and certainly a very Bordeaux thing to do, perhaps on one of your first mornings there, is to wander from Place de la Bourse up the river towards the Chartrand area. You'll have the river to your right, you'll have the stone mansions to your left, those gorgeous buildings built by the prosperous mainly in the 17th and 18th centuries. And you are getting a flavour of an area of the city that has been absolutely of prime importance for centuries. I found a description of the port from 1785 written by a German visitor, Sophie de la Roche, who was out for a walk along the quayside one Sunday afternoon, the 1st of May 1785 in fact, and described the lovely scene of boats from all different countries with their flags fluttering. As she was driven along in her carriage, she spotted German boats with white flags featuring a double-headed eagle, Russian ships with their white, red and blue flags, Swedish ships, blue flags with a yellow cross, boats from Ireland, a green flag with a yellow harp, and from Boston, blue and white striped flags with 13 stars up in one corner and many more, all of which gives a picture of Bordeaux even that early as an international port, outward-looking, a trading city, and one that welcomed foreigners from so many different places. And all through the 19th and 20th centuries, this was a busy port area, with wharves and ships loading and unloading, merchants toing and froing, building up their businesses and becoming very prosperous. Many of them used some of the money they earned to build the houses along the quayside. I saw in a guidebook a reference to numbers 28 and 29, Quai des Chartrons, two Flemish-style townhouses built by a Dutch merchant round about 1860. He wanted to be able to look out over the harbour and see his wine barrels being loaded. But there's another layer of history too, because in 1999 a huge redevelopment project was begun. Four or five kilometres worth of tree-lined public spaces set up along the river, a garden of light created just opposite the Place de la Bourse with paths and borders and benches, and, best known of all, the water mirror built on the site of a former warehouse just opposite the Place de la Bourse, putting it back into focus by encouraging visitors to stand on the other side of the road with their back to the river and look at its lovely facade reflected in the pool. Such a clever idea, and yet such a simple one, said to have been conceived when the architects strolled along the site one night and noticed that the buildings opposite were reflected in a muddy puddle. 
Today, the whole of the quayside is a recreational area. Somewhere to stroll, yes, of course, but also to take a cruise or go canoeing or biking or skateboarding. I'll come back to that a little later. But first, I wanted to focus on four different museums which can all tell you bits of the story of Bordeaux and its riverside heritage. So just to recap the history very briefly, Bordeaux was a port even in Roman times, providing, for example, a useful way to ship some of the best wine back to Rome. There were major developments in the Middle Ages. So landing stages were built, so were warehouses to store grain and other goods. Workshops grew up for making chests and barrels in which to export the goods. The endless comings and goings of ships and sailors, very much a port atmosphere with drinking and colourful language. A trade boom under Henry Plantagenet, King of England, but also the ruler of Aquitaine, who introduced tax-free trade between the two areas. And then the massive boom in the 17th and 18th centuries, the heyday really, when wine exports tripled in value. Wine merchants began to become seriously rich, and much longer routes were possible, making trade with far-flung countries easier. To start with, it would be ships from Bordeaux taking wine and oil and flour and silks to the West Indies and the Caribbean, and returning with coffee, cocoa, spices, sugar, tobacco. But that, of course, developed then into the infamous triangular trade, which led to the scourge of the 18th and 19th centuries, namely slavery. In the briefest of summaries then, goods shipped to East Africa from Europe traded for people who were then taken to the Caribbean and sold as slaves, often to work on the sugar plantations. And those same ships then did the third leg of their journey back to Bordeaux, stuffed full of goods from the colonies. It's a long and complex story, and one place to find out much more about it is the Museum of Maritime History whose website explains its aim as being 2,000 years of history from the Port of the Moon. It's based in a Chartrand townhouse, so very atmospheric, and it takes you through the history of the Port of Bordeaux through all the different eras, from the Romans and the Vikings and Eleanor of Aquitaine's day, through naval warfare in the 17th and 18th centuries, the lives and exploits of the great explorers, and the transformation of the Keys of Bordeaux, in the 20th century. It will tell you about lots of famous people, some of whom you'd expect, the ship owners, the navigators, the merchants, the industrialists, but also some more surprising people. Quote, poets, philosophers and adventurers. For example, there's a section on Montesquieu, who wrote of the need for the abolition of slavery. Information about the 19th century's travellers who set off to explore Indochina and South America Senegal and the Gambia, and also about the politicians who oversaw the transformation of the riverside and the quays in the 20th century. There's lots to see, maps, reproductions, models, original documents, navigational instruments, and a focus too on some of the key products associated with Bordeaux, so the wine and cod exported from the city, and some of the major imports, sugar, coffee, cocoa, and, who knew, peanuts. I learnt from the website that Bordeaux in the 19th century was the biggest port in Northern Europe for the import of peanuts. So that's the Museum of Maritime History then. This might be a good moment to mention that, of course, links to all the museums will be provided in the show notes and on the blog post accompanying this episode. 
just nearby the Museum of Maritime History in the Chartrand district, is the Musée du Vin et du Négoce, or the Museum of Wine and Trade in English. That too is in a merchant's house. So again, very atmospheric. You're taken down into the vaults to see where the trading actually happened. Lots of artefacts and documents to tell the story, ancient wine barrels, loads of bottles of all different sizes, shipping chests with destination labels printed onto them, Bergen in Norway, Bristol in the UK, dozens more. Maps, charters, agreements that people signed, telling the story, as it says on the website, quote, from antiquity to the 20th century, the evolution of the city of Bordeaux and of its commercial port opened to the world. You can find out what the wine merchants did, from buying chateau and vineyards to storing and ageing wine and then putting it into casks and bottles and exporting it. Find out about the creation of the Bordeaux Chamber of Commerce, where they got together to protect their interests, and the classification system for wine brought in under Napoleon III in the 1850s, where different chateaux and vineyards were labelled according to the quality of the wine they produced, and terms that we're very familiar with today emerged. Premier Grand Cru, for example. Grand Cru Classé. Grand Cru. You can find out how barrels were made, how wine is aged. Learn about the history of its export and also how it's sold today as futures. Discover maps of wine routes all around Bordeaux. And at the end of your visit, there's a wine tasting. A chance to taste two different wines under the guidance of one of the museum staff. And if it's the wine tasting that particularly interests you, you might be interested to know that they run a separate workshop just for that, an hour long, where you can taste four different wines. One described as a chance to learn the techniques of wine tasting and three more so that you can practice. I noticed the museum had some great reviews. One from somebody who'd also been to the Cité du Vin had enjoyed both visits, but particularly enjoyed the fact that this museum focuses very much on the wine trade in Bordeaux rather than worldwide. And someone else left a review, four words, au top, affair. It's great, do it. Thirdly then, and slightly different in focus, the Musée National des Douanes, the National Museum of Customs. That's customs as in borders and trade, not customs as in folk dancing and whatnot. The only museum of its kind in France, apparently. And one of the best things about it is that it's in the imposing building on Place de la Bourse, which was the original customs hall, opened in the 1730s. So an excellent chance to get inside there. And when you do, a chance to learn about this side of the story of being a trading city. Lots of stories from the battle against pirates and cheating merchants. It's staffed by actual customs officers. And there's a chance to see all kinds of documents and uniforms and artefacts. I particularly enjoyed a description of the contents of this museum, which I found in the Lonely Planet Guide, where they referred to, quote, opium pipes, impounded ostrich eggs, and antique measuring scales. Also, they've got a number of paintings of Bordeaux port from the past, including a Monet painting of a customs house. And fourthly then, MMM, which is short for Musée de la Mer et de la Marine, or in English, the Museum of the Sea and Marine Life, much the newest of the four museums, opened in 2019, up towards the Cité du Vin, and housed in an absolutely stunning white building, which looks a bit like an ocean liner. 
Themes covered in there include navigation, exploration, etc., military battles, but lots and lots on ecology and the science and oceanography. Everything, as their website says, on this topic from, quote, geological times to the environmental concerns of the 21st century. There is quite an emphasis on the protection of marine heritage, environmental concerns generally. I noticed, for example, that the temporary exhibition there when I went was called Planet or Plastic, run in conjunction with National Geographic. So those four museums then are specifically about aspects of the river and the sea, but I would also thoroughly recommend a visit or a return visit to the Musée d'Aquitaine to see their section entitled 18th Century Bordeaux, Atlantic Trade and Slavery, where they do a good job of bringing together much that's known about this very much darker aspect of the topic. There's a good explanation there of how the direct trade, taking goods to and from the Americas in the 17th century, gradually changed into the triangular trade I just mentioned from Bordeaux to the African coast, and then the transportation of slaves out to America to be sold or exchanged for goods. It doesn't shy away from Bordeaux's role in all of this. You learn, for example, that some 180 Bordeaux ship owners took part, that in the main period from 1670 to 1837, there were 500 slave voyages involving Bordeaux, which took 150,000 people to be sold as slaves. There's material on the inhuman conditions to which these people were subjected, chained in foul conditions in the lower decks of ships, suffering from hunger and illnesses, so bad that many died en route. There's more on the conditions that awaited them if they did get to America, their treatment as assets, the harsh working conditions, the brutal discipline... And all of this contrasted with the effect on Bordeaux, for whom this was a period of growth and prosperity, as it became the second largest slave trading port in France, after Nantes. The story of the anti-slavery movement, which took root in the 18th century, is also told, leading to the abolition of slavery in France in 1848. And before I leave this topic, I wanted to mention two places in the city where there are memorials to the enslaved peoples, there's a plaque opposite number 17, Quai des Chartrons, which remembers the first slave vessel which left Bordeaux. And just outside the stock exchange, there's a statue of Marthe Testas, chosen as a symbol of the triangular slave trade, which operated from Bordeaux and other French cities for over 150 years. A little is known of Marthe's story. She was captured in 1780 and brought to Bordeaux by two brothers, Pierre and François Testas. They sent her to the Caribbean to work as a slave on their family plantation. She was eventually freed when François died, and if you look carefully at the statue, you'll see that there are broken chains at the foot of it, symbolising this. Marthe lived until she was 105. Amazing. And I read that her grandson became president of Haiti, one François Denis Légitime. I think it's to Bordeaux's credit that the story is told in quite some detail in the museums and that there are very public memorials in the city saying, yes, this too is part of our history. So, moving on to the last section of this episode, which in my notes I scribbled the title Fun on the River, because I did want to make very clear that as a visitor to Bordeaux, 
There's lots you can do on near both the Garonne itself in central Bordeaux and out towards the estuary that you'll enjoy and which will deepen your understanding of the area. So starting in the city centre, definitely a wander or a cycle up and down the quays. Why not visit the Bassin des Flots, built during World War II to house German ships in, under the occupation? I'll be coming back to that actually in the next episode because that's on World War II. Why not pop along the Quai de Chartrand on a Sunday morning and visit the food market held there? Or in fact, do the same on any day of the week to a part of the quays which you'll find just south of the Pont Chabon d'Elmas, where a collection of buildings, warehouses from the 1930s, have been redeveloped as shops and restaurants, centred around a science and exhibition centre called Cap Science. The Bordeaux Tourism website has a good section on ways to enjoy the Garonne. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you're looking for ideas to go canoeing or kayaking or cruising, you'll find plenty of those there, along with suggestions for places to eat or picnic, ideas for events such as the dance events held along the quay sometimes, where to find some of the ganguettes where you can enjoy food, music, dancing along the Garonne. If you're staying more than a day or two and want to look a little further, then Trips up the Gironde estuary are certainly a good idea. That's where the River Garonne flows into the sea, about 75 kilometres away from Bordeaux. Europe's largest estuary, apparently, a whacking 12 kilometres wide where it meets the sea. And interesting for many different reasons. Historical remains, lighthouses, a citadel, forts, and of course, a unique marshy landscape. Think large watery stretches, little islands, and its very own unique wildlife. Bordeaux Tourism also has a good post on seeing the Gironde estuary. They make mention of bus trips you can take, how to get there by car, allow two hours or so, and if you use a ferry at one point, you can get all the way around the estuary. If you're a bit more active than that, think about taking a bike. There's a special route called the Deux Mers, that means two seas, canal, connecting Bordeaux to Royan, 150 kilometres of bike paths all along the estuary. And again, a useful ferry to mean that you can get all the way round. But of course, for most people, perhaps the main idea would be, what cruises are there? And there are lots, anything from an hour and a half long to a whole day, even a whole week, and run by a variety of companies, so there's plenty of choice. You can go on a sightseeing visit, you could combine it with some wine or some food, perhaps even a talk. I think I saw one where there was a wine grower on board who would talk about what he did and all sorts of different visits possible. For example, to the islands such as Patiras Island where there's a lighthouse or the New and Marco Islands to see the vineyards. You can stop off at Play, B-L-A-Y-E, where there's a famous citadel built by Vauban. He was the architect military engineer who worked for Louis XIV and whose work can be found all over France. This particular one, Blaise Citadelle, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You can also go on fishing trips accompanied by someone who knows what they're doing and will show you how. So really, the choice is limitless. And the Bordeaux Tourism website will point you in all the right directions. And that brings me towards the end of this episode in which I hope I've done justice to the importance of the river in Bordeaux, geographically, historically, for tourism purposes. Really, whatever aspect of Bordeaux you're thinking about, the river will wend its way in somewhere. 
Just to mention then that there will be a blog post on the website, www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk, summarising the information I've given, especially giving all the links and with plenty of photographs. So do go and have a look at that. And if it's your first trip to the website, why not take the time to have a little look around at previous Bordeaux episodes, perhaps, or maybe at some of our other series. There are 10 other cities to choose from, ranging in scope from the very large Paris and London and Berlin to other slightly smaller cities with lots of interesting history to tell. Florence, Munich, Seville, and some of my UK favourites like Bath and Edinburgh. As for what's next, Bordeaux episode 5, of course, which is going to centre on World War II, in which Bordeaux, which was in the occupied zone of France, played a vital role. And there are lots of stories of spies and resistance and daring do. And there are also two or three places to visit where you can find out more. So I hope you'll join me for that. Meanwhile, thank you very much for listening today. And I hope you'll join me again soon. Merci beaucoup. Et à bientôt.